Welcome to EEN Moms Talk. We are going to explore how we are called to care for God's creation, what that looks like for modern moms, and how we can make better choices to protect our kids from environmental harm. Now on to today's episode. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Beth Bond, your hostess for EEN Moms Talk. Today's guest is Andrea Summers. She is a pastor, writer, preacher, and mother of four. She is the director of Sacred Alliance, a new center advancing the gifts of women in ministry and leadership at Wesley Seminary. She also serves the Luzon Movement, facilitating mentoring relationships for their younger leaders and global initiative. Andrea has also dedicated her ministry to the local church as God's agent of redemption in the world. She thinks in word pictures and weaves the practical with the profound truth of God's word. She is passionate about biblical justice and authentic vulnerability and their critical connection to spiritual formation. An ordained minister and a graduate of Asbury Seminary, Andrea has served as a pastor in the local church and as a denominational leader for the Wesleyan denomination. She currently lives in Atlanta with her husband Jeremy and their four children. She wishes she had time for hobbies, but, well, with four kids, you understand. Welcome, Andrea. It's good to be here. Thank you. So we are connected through your husband, who is um, the board the board chair for EEN. He's a good husband. He spent a lot of time talking about how wonderful you are. I'm so grateful to have you on the show because you are doing a lot of things. I mean, you are a one busy gal. And so I just wanted to talk to you today about motherhood and faith and caring for God's creation and juggling all that together and what that means. So um, I really appreciate it. Why don't you start off, because you're here in Atlanta right now, but y'all are originally from Indiana, I believe. So why don't we start off with how you got here? Yeah. Well, we love the Atlanta area, and um, I'm noticing myself picking up just a little bit of a twang as I talk. So, But we moved here um, going on two years ago, a little over a year and a half ago, just Jeremy was taking a position at a church in the area, and my job is something that I can kind of do from anywhere. So, so here we are, and we love it. Well, and I mean, right, you're really busy. So you're getting um, your doctorate, doctorate at Emory, and you've got four kids, yes, and y'all yep. live up. I know where you live. You live a good way away from Emory, so I know there's you know commuting involved, although you don't have to be at the university every day. How how do you yeah. swing it all? How do you how do you stay centered and focused? Huh, that is a great question. I ask myself that on a regular basis. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think I learned somewhere. I spent a lot of years trying to find some sort of balance, and I think I've just learned that balance is a myth. Like it's just not possible. Um, or as soon as we find balance, it lasts for like two seconds. I mean, just take, you know, any parent of small children, like as soon as you get used to them crawling everywhere, then all of a sudden they're walking and they have like a whole, they're cruising or whatever. They have like a whole new set of things in the house that they can reach. So you have to like go through the whole house and re, re, you know, baby eyes it or whatever. So I think that's just, um, I just look at life as seasons really is what it is. I try to to look at life in seasons, and I think as a family and just even vocationally in ministry, there are these big seasons of life, like 
there's the season where your kids are real little, and then there's the season when you've got school-age kids, and there's the season of, you know, empty nesters, and there's a season of all that stuff. But there's also these itty-bitty seasons, too. Like, for example, you know, every August, we have to hit the reset button, not just in our family, but vocationally, too, because our kids are starting a new year of school, and new activities and a new family schedule. And so Jeremy and I try to look ahead. What are those kind of places in our life as a family where we have to hit the reset button and we have to recalibrate, we have to reprioritize, we have to figure out all over again what a good rhythm is going to be for that particular season. And, um, and every season has sacrifices that have to be made. You know, there are always sacrifices in one direction or another. Sometimes the sacrifice is in the direction of vocation, and sometimes the sacrifices are in the direction of, you know, hobbies or family even. But I just have to remember that whatever season that I'm in, whatever it is that I feel like I'm sacrificing for that particular season, it's not going to be forever. Um, It's not always going to be that way. And that we'll hit a reset button, we'll recalibrate, and it'll be a different set of sacrifices that have to be made. So, now, yeah. is this something that you, you and Jeremy talk about, like just as it's ongoing, or do you sort of like do a mental check, like in July, when you know crazy is about to hit with school starting again? Um, I mean, we don't like necessarily plan it into our schedule of like every July 25th we're going to sit down and have a conversation. Right. But yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, we try you know I try I'm a, I'm a forward thinker I'm always looking ahead and so I'm always looking at what what the next season is coming up and so I tend to just kind of um, help our family recalibrate in those ways mm-hmm. so yeah and, and then for me too I have gotten into the habit of every every you know January or February sometimes it doesn't happen to February but I try to do like a day alone or even sometimes um years past I would go like a weekend I would get away for like a you know get a hotel somewhere for a whole weekend and that would be a recalibrating time for me because I mean I have these overarching visions that you know for for life and for our family and for my calling and vocation and all those things and those tend to be um, those tend to stay the same over the years but I always have to go back and you know think through pray through okay what does it look like for us to live into that priority and to live into that, um, that value that we have for this season of life? And that looks different, um, sometimes on a monthly basis, but certainly having that annual kind of, um, you know, time that's set aside to think through that. Where, where are we at? What, what does it look like to live into that right now? Um, it just looks different in those different seasons. So, Right. And um, I'm gonna, that's sort of a good way to segue into the next question, which is you've got four. I think they're like maybe, maybe almost tween to six. Am I right? Yeah, good memory. I've got two girls, 13 and 10. And I've got two boys that are eight and six. Yeah, so you're like in the heat of like all the craziness with, you know, um, getting them to activities and, and, and all that kind of thing. And it's really busy. 
And, and you know, I know that um, you recognize that the most important job you have on this planet is to make your children, right, love Jesus. And so mm-hmm. I'm just curious about, like, what kind of intentional things you do. To, you know, I mean, clearly there's the obvious, like, you know, we go to church and we do church activities and things like that. But how how are you, I mean, because you have a very special perspective, right, because you're, um, you know, you've been in uh, educational and learning about, you know, God in a in a really big way. You're getting your doctorate, and so how do you how do you think that anchor into your kids' hearts for Jesus? Well, this is like one of those things that there are days where I feel like I'm utterly failing in every way. <laughs> you know, I think what parent doesn't? But where you're just going, you know, I might are we are we doing anything right? Uh, so let me just preface with that. But um, but I think that intentionality piece is is a piece of that um, of it, it, to say you know in this big overarching way. Well, how do you help your family um, you know know Jesus and live that out in the world around them? That's like this big just overwhelming question. But I think when I drill it down and I have these checkpoint places in my life, um, I, have, I have daily, weekly, uh, monthly, yearly places where I go back to those things and I kind of say, okay, am, am I doing – let me let's give you an example. Like I want my kids to know God. I also want to have like open communication with my kids to the extent that I'm able to. I want to cultivate like that open communication. So some different things that we have done um, that I've done over the years is like we, we sit down and we read Bible stories with our kids. Now I've got a 13 year old all the way to a six year old. And so the Bible story does not always connect perfectly with every single one of our kids, but we just do it anyway. And, and I have to set the bar real low for myself because otherwise it just it won't happen and I'll feel discouraged so like literally the goal that I have is that once a week like one time a week we will sit down as a family and we'll read a Bible story together and we'll pray together and talk about now we pray with them every night before they go to bed but this is more of an intentional kind of family prayer time and um I mean I'm yeah that's that's not like we can't do that every single day our family can't but if we can do it once a week, then maybe. And it's like having that long view of life, you know, where it's not a race. You don't have to fit everything in in the next month. But having that long view of, okay, what's going to be sustainable for us, for our family long term? And that probably looks like once a week. But I'm telling you what, once a week over a year, that's 52 times a year that you sat down as a family and you prayed together. That's still going to be spiritually formative in the long haul, right? Um, and that's something else that I do is um, I pull twice a week, I'll pull one of my four kids into my bedroom for 15 minutes um, at bedtime. So all the other kids, they've all been put to bed, they're going to sleep, they're in their beds. But this, you know, that for that night, that one kid gets pulled out of bed, and they get to go hang out in my room for 15 minutes past bedtime. And we just talk, you know, um, I ask them questions, but I mostly just let them talk, they get to lead the conversation. And um, they really look forward to that time. And I have friends, I know people who, who will, like, lay, <laughs> lay in bed with their kids for, you know, every night 
for 30 minutes and just talk and talk and, you know, until somebody falls asleep. And I think that that's just lovely. (laughs) But the reality is that for me at bedtime, I'm like, I don't want to see anybody's face. You know, half the time at bedtime, I'm just like, don't talk to me. Don't ask any questions. Don't, you know, I don't want to see your face right now. I just want you to get in bed. And so, again, it's that whole, you know, I could never do that with, um, you know, every single night or even, even once a week. So, like, once every two weeks, my kid's getting 15 minutes with me. And that doesn't sound like much. It's kind of like, well, geez, you're – but it is that rhythm that is sustainable, you know. Um, we do well, stuff like mom – oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I want to honor that, right, because I think that's one of the challenges as moms is um, – Everyone has to sort of do what makes sense for them. And so, yeah. you know, it's just like 52 weeks of, of, of intentional family time, they will remember, right? And in some right, ways, it'll right. be sort of special because it was once a week, not every single day. Right. I hope so. We'll see. We'll see. But um, it's better than nothing, you know. And it's, so it's just, it's one of those things. I can't, I can't do everything all the time but I can do these little things. And if we get more than that, great. But we also, Jeremy does this too, but he calls it buddy time. I call it mommy time. But if we try on a regular basis to just, you know, have one-on-one time with, with our kids, like go take them, go take them, take them with us to go get ice cream or, you know, do activities together that we know they enjoy. Um, and I try when I get back from something like that, maybe not like in the next hour, but within the next 24 hours, I, I send um, an email to them. And I have like a separate email account set up that is just for this. It's an inbox that just has, you know, the subject line has that kid's name. And um, it's mm-hmm. an email. And a lot of times when I'm doing my mommy time with them, like I'll take a picture of us together or take, take a picture of whatever we were doing. And I'll just have observations. It's short and sweet. It might be like four bullet points of like, I noticed this about you. I like this about you. I, we had this conversation. And then I'm done, and I maybe attach the picture. And it's just an, it's just an email account that just sits untouched right now. Someday um, they'll want to look at those and want to read through those. And, and I probably will too because I will have forget, forgotten a lot of those little moments. So well, and we have family a, dinner. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's such a great idea. It's like a quick baby book, right? But instead it gets to be a quick childhood book, right? Because everyone abandons yeah. the baby books. But this is something that, you know, once you go into and you know, I, I love that idea. I mean, I think it's such a valuable, valuable idea. And, and they will get to a point where they really appreciate it too. Yeah. Well, and, I, and a full disclosure, I have the baby book for my first three. And my youngest is six years old, and poor child still does not have a baby book. Like, he asks me about it every so often. He's like, when are you going to do my baby book? And I'm like, oh, child, I don't know. Maybe that ship has sailed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but those baby books, right, I mean, I can – there there is something about them, right? So um, maybe maybe you can convince one of the older girls to start the baby book for you. There you go. That's what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, when he was a baby, I had four children, six and under. So, like, there was there was no time for you know collect. There was no time for taking pictures, much less collecting pictures. So, anyway, he'll just have to make do for now. 
Um, so you were going to tell us something about family family dinner. Yeah, we try to have family dinner um, as much as we can. Sometimes it's literally just like leftovers, but rather than everybody, you know, coming and getting it and whatever, we still try to sit down at the table together and eat together. We have um, we have family dinner questions, and it's just like a a jar, like a canning jar, large canning jar that sits on our table, and it has you know, hundreds of little slips of paper with questions on them. I think I got it online somewhere. Like I didn't, you know, create this myself. And the kids love just reaching in there and pulling a question out and reading it. And then we all go around the table and answer it. Um, So just stuff like that, that is fun for them, but it gets us out of the, you know, out of the daily grind of just whatever, you know, you just can stay into those yeah. So well, I love that. I think another big. Sorry, go on. No, no, you you go ahead. Well, I was going to say, my niece and nephews are, you know, they're teenagers now. And we started something at Thanksgiving because that's our holiday. That's the holiday we make sure we're all together. And um, we started this thing where we ask five questions. And everybody answers the five questions, but they don't put their name on it. And then we read them. And we have to guess who it is, right? So, you know, it's mm-hmm. once a year, but at least it gets us that connectional thing. Because, you know, when the teenagers, they they want to talk, but they don't really want to listen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. I like that. That's good. Well, and the funny thing is, is, you know, there are fam- some family members who complain about it. And I was willing to sort of, okay, well, you know, but the children are the ones that ask for it and and insist that we do it. So I think that's a really positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids love stuff like that. And I I think they like rhythm, you know. They like like those things that they can count on. Um, So they remind me, you know, like that I was describing that um, when I pull them into my room for 15 minutes at bedtime, I mean, they remind me of that. You know, I don't have to remind them. So so it's like they build the margin into into your life. Well, I, right, I think that's one of the things is, is, is that God gave us or, you know, he wanted us to have margin. That's why he gave us the Sabbath and asked us to practice the Sabbath. And so I love it that when, you know, when the children can remind us, oh, we need to add that time or this is meaningful to me. Can we do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, and we'll dig a little further. Awesome. Sounds good. We hope you're enjoying this episode of EEN Moms Talk. If you want to engage more with us, you can follow us on Instagram at EEN Moms. You can follow us on Twitter at EEN underscore Moms. Or you can join our private Facebook group at EEN Moms. Just click to join, and we approve you in the group. If you want to download our free Bible study, hop over to creationcare.org and you can download it there. We really believe community is the key to everything, so we hope you will make us part of yours. Now, back to our guest. Okay, great. So, I I love the way y'all are building your family. I just think it's, it's realistic, right? I think sometimes people are very unrealistic. Um, but there's there's another side of you too. Um, 
which is the work that you're doing through your doctorate and the Luzon movement and stuff like that. Share a little bit about, you know, the Luzon movement and the Sacred Alliance. Yeah. Well, Sacred Alliance is this brand new center that, um, that we're launching out of Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And um, it, Wesley Seminary is one of the few seminaries out there. There are others, but fully egalitarian. And what I mean by that is that it values um, women at every level of leadership and also values um, the authority of scripture. And so um, in keeping with that, um, and it's value for diversity, it's value for empowering women, it's launching this center, asked me to be the director of the center called Sacred Alliance. And it really is just all about advancing the gifts of women in leadership. And so, um, yes, women in vocational ministry, and I'm an ordained minister, I'm a pastor, um, but also just women in leadership in the church. And why is it that so many women um, feel you know, like there's kind of no holds barred in a lot of ways in their vocational settings and they're like they can do anything they want to do and then they step foot inside the church and all of a sudden there are these, um, these ceilings put on their leadership in the church. And so we're just um, creating space. It's really an online community. We're creating space there um, to have really um, smart conversations about how do we understand scripture and still value the authority of scripture, but also value women in leadership? And um, how do we help advocate for that in local churches and, um, you know, those kinds of conversations. And then um, I also work a little bit with the Lausanne movement. They have a whole um, arm of what they do called YLG young leaders and like young leaders generation and, um, and so I work on a specific team that works with mentoring. So I help to connect young global leaders um, in just tons of countries all over the world with um, mentors that can come alongside of them and can um, help raise them up for, you know, the next generation of leaders, global leaders. So that's a really um, exciting thing to be a part of. And I get to be on a team of people from all over the world um, it, which makes our meetings really challenging when you've got people who are like in all these different time zones, but I love it. Um, so yeah, so those are some of the things that I have my hands in. Was there something else you asked me about too? I'm also working on my demon from um, Candler School of Theology at Emory in um, preaching and um, biblical interpretation. Wow. And, and you have four kids and a husband. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love you. You you are you are overachiever like me. People are like, how do you get all that stuff done? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Just do it. Just do it. God provides grace to you know hopefully you know be above average. You know I, I'll take six, six you know sixty one percent on any or fifty one percent on any given day, um, and <laughs> just you know serve Him by you know juggling forty million balls. So. Um, well, that really, helps that they're love, all things that I'm passionate about and I love to do too. You know, that makes it much easier, but yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And I, uh, passion takes you so much further than anybody can imagine. And somebody sort mm-hmm. of heard me talking about one item and they're like, oh, well, that's your passion. And I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> my passion is to mm-hmm. serve God. 
And today you get to hear about green buildings. But tomorrow you may hear about water conservation. And the day after that you mm-hmm. might hear about, you know, an eco-VBS program or something like that. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very interested um, with your uh, Luzon movement work. Are you hearing about, are, is there sort of bubbling up in the conversation things about um, caring for God's creation and sort of the impact of, you know, the weather changing and the pollution in the world? And are you hearing about those kinds of things or is it, leadership more more about skill development? Um, absolutely, we're hearing about it. In fact, I think that there is a greater awareness globally in a lot of ways about um, the way that a lack of creation care is impacting the economy and impacting people's everyday lives. I think, you know, there are parts of the world who are running into that in really tangible ways. So, um, so yeah, I think, and two, there's this overarching conversation too in the evangelical, um, you know, global church about there's a real, there's a shift happening and it's been happening for a long time. It's still happening. It's moving from kind of a colonization mindset to more of a um, a mindset that, you know, wants to be more culturally sensitive and raise up indigenous leaders or that sort of thing. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the church has this reputation of going into a culture or a land and colonizing it, you know, and, right. and colonizing it spiritually and religiously too, right? And so rather than introducing this kind of culturally relevant gospel and raising up indigenous leaders, we came in and we introduced this kind of white Jesus with white man's rules. And, um, and we've done this with land and with environments too. And so um, we're seeing all the negative effects of that, I think, in recent generations and generations of people globally who uh, maybe have a history of colonialism who are pushing against that, pushing against the church. So the missions movement um, I don't know. It's, it's just we need a gospel for this generation that has creation care at the very front of its priorities because we need to be the opposite of that colonial oppressive version of the gospel that, um, that you know, preceded us. And um, we need to include initiatives that protect and that redeem the creation because, um, you know, that's a part of redeeming the gospel, I think. So... Well, I, I so agree, and I, you know, I think one of the, um, in the work that I've been doing, I hear over and over that the secular community values nature over humans, and I think that's why it's so important for us Christians in particular when we're talking about caring for God's creation that we remind them the most, the most precious creation God made was us, and, you know, mm-hmm. if, if we don't value us, you know, like, so I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this, but for anybody who's listening who's not, they're um, Generation Z, Gen Z is what they're calling this new generation, but formed between 1999 and 2015, largest generation of children ever in the history of America, and 30% of them, so about 22 million of them, are affected by four um, childhood chronic diseases, I mean chronic diseases, asthma, autism, ADHD severe allergies, and there's more and more studies coming out 
where there are linkages to modern society, whether that's sort of, you know, residual effects of burning fossil fuels or the, the toxins we put in our food and our chemicals and things. And I'm like, if we can't value the gift of the womb that God gave us, our precious children, and put them in a healthy environment and and not understand that linkage that, you know, God gave us this precious gift of an earth so we can raise our most precious kid, you know, our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's a big challenge, right? I mean, it's a big challenge. Yeah. And I think too, both globally and just even here and, you know, in this country that um, a full body gospel has to be a gospel that addresses some of these um, biblical justice issues. And I, I they're, they're justice issues, but um, I think there's a lot of precedent in scripture for them. And one of them being creation care. I mean, I just think that um, a gospel and a church that doesn't have, um, you know, a, a creation care as a huge piece of it is just going to feel really irrelevant to these generations that are coming behind us. Right, right, right. Because they get it better than we do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that that doesn't mean I've, I like I've had people say, well, the next gener- generation will take care of it. I'm like, that's great, but we have an obligation to mitigate as much as we can, so there's not so much work for them to do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm yeah. Okay. So we're clearly in my valley wake of what I like to talk about. So um, <laughs> let's talk about because I'm I really um, feel I am a big proponent of you know it starts at home, right? That you teach mm-hmm. those values at home. So I'm just curious about like what are you doing with your kids at home to teach them about caring for God's creation? Um, well, first we'll just start with we we talk about it. Um, but I think we also have to lead by example in here. I mean, I try to do that as best we can because, um, again, kind of how I was saying earlier, I do think that um, caring for creation is one of many marks of discipleship. And so if we are discipling our kids, then we're going to be having conversations about about that sort of thing. Um, And just talking about how our relationships, you know, we as parents – we are, we are instilling values in our kids, and a lot of those are relational values about how to treat people with respect, how to not brag, how to, you know, like just those kind of simple things that any good parent is trying to pay attention to and using teaching moments. But if we can broaden our understanding of relationships to understand that relationships are not just our relationships with other people, but also our relationships with the planet, you know, and planets, that um, we'll find all kinds of, you know, teaching moments to to talk about those kinds of things too. But um, just some practical stuff, I guess, that we do is um, we recycle, which a lot of people do. It's interesting where we used to live, um, you know, like we moved here almost two years ago. Where we used to live in Indiana, um, recycling was a pretty easy process. Like you just had to have a separate trash can in your kitchen and you threw your recyclable item is in there, and then you every two weeks we just drug the you know can out to the curb, and somebody came and picked it up for us. It was it was easy. It was like why would you not 
do that. It's so simple. But we moved here, and the municipality that we live in does not recycle. Like, they've tried a couple times, but the extra, I don't know what it is, like 5 or $6, it would cost every family in this municipality to do recycling. Like, people won't vote it in. They won't do it. So um, we don't have anyone picking up our trash on the curb every two weeks. <laughs> and we're like, oh, no, what do we do? So now we have to collect all of our, you know, recycling stuff, and we have to take it somewhere. And, and I know a lot of people do that, so I'm not acting like it's this, like, you know, huge burden. But it was just this reset for us of going, oh, well, is this a value for us or not? Because it's not easy anymore. It takes a whole extra, you know, couple of steps to do this now, sorting it and taking it, loading it in the car and taking it somewhere. And we were like, no, we have to do it. And it's interesting because it's more of a process now. I feel like our kids are more involved in the process too. So before it was kind of like mom and dad did most of the throwing away and, um, you know, pulling the can out to the curb before, but now they're more involved in the process. So maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Uh, another thing that we do, and we've talked to our kids about this, but um, so I'm going to make the place where I live sound horrible. It's an awesome place to live, but for whatever reason, the public school that our kids go to, they don't use um, washable trays. They use styrofoam trays for their lunches, oh. which mm-hmm. I think is awful. Criminal? <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's just such a simple thing, but, you know, I mean, I don't even remember off the top of my head what it is, but I remember I sat down with my oldest daughter, we did the math one day, and, like, with the number of kids buying lunches, like, conservatively, we're talking, like, 3,000 styrofoam trays that get thrown away each day. You multiply that times the week, times the month, times the year, I mean, we're talking about just, like, hundreds of thousands of trash bags full of styrofoam trays that get thrown away at this one school. So anyway, just, you know, our our kids have never bought a school lunch at this school. They used to at their old school, but we just won't, we won't buy a school lunch at this school because we don't want to be a part of throwing away um, styrofoam trays. And the kids know that. They know that's why, it's one of the reasons why we're not buying lunches here. but also, like my daughter, she is on, like a, she's my 13-year-old, she's on a leadership team at her school. And um, she, you know, one of the things that she is hoping to be a part of in that leadership team is introducing Trayless Tuesdays. And it's not a new idea to us. Other school districts have done this where you just start, you know, encourage the school to start experimenting with, with something like that. And um, so you start, you know, you have one day a week where you're not adding to the landfill and adding to the waste and, and people realize, Oh, it's not so bad. and It's actually pretty easy. And there's, so, you know, and, and maybe it's something that over the you know months or years, it can expand to something that the school district adopts as a whole. So we'll see that's in process. And I feel like it has to come from a, a kid more than like a parent um, petitioning the school board. So we are working on that together, but, yeah, those are just some little things that we do. Well, um, first of all, I I know the county you live in, and I have a friend who's been working on the same. She's a mom, but she's working on the same thing. So maybe we need to put her. Well, and, you need to connect us then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, because 
So just in case anybody doesn't know, uh, styrofoam is predicted to last in the landfills from 200 to 500 years. And so you multiply your daughter's school production times that, what, the 150 schools in your county, and it's, it's insanity. So, um, yeah, so mm-hmm. we work on that. But what I love, I think the biggest takeaway for me is, like, you know, you're doing it, so you're modeling an example, but more importantly, you're talking to them why you're doing it. And I think that sometimes that's mm-hmm. something we forget about, right, that we that we were like, okay, well, I'm going to show the kids that we're recycling and we're recycling, and, you know, or I'm going to show the kids that we're carpooling, but we don't talk about why we're doing it. And so matching mm-hmm. the conversation with the action, I think, really instills the idea of, like, oh, this is a way I can show discipleship. This is a way I can care for God's creation. This is a simple thing for me to do throughout my life. You know, they may not be thinking that it's 13 mm-hmm. or 6, but, you know, once they get to an adult, be like, yeah, this is this is actually an, an, an act of obedience and uh, devotion and a way to show God love. I care about your creation. Yeah. I don't want styrofoam yeah. going in the landfill every single day. Right, right. Yes, absolutely. I mean, those conversations have to have to. It's it's both and, right? You know, right. our theology has to inform our practice. Our our beliefs have to inform what we do. But then, so many times we don't wrap it back around and allow what we do to inform what we believe. And so, yeah, that's such a good point. I will say another thing that honestly. Um, we have gotten out of the habit of doing lately uh, and just actually thinking about it right now. It's like, we need to get back into this again. But, um, but we have gone through seasons as a family where we've been pretty intentional about um, honoring the Sabbath. And, um, and I feel like that is so tied to creation care <laughs> for me. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just, it's a really subversive thing to set aside a day of the week where you just say you're, you know, you are not going to do some things and you are going to lean into some other things in intentional ways. Um, but I feel like it's just good. It's good for the family. It's good. Um, when we have done that in the past um, in, in more intentional ways, we, we'd say, here are the things that we do on the Sabbath. We enjoy nature. We enjoy rest. We enjoy relationships and we enjoy worship. And so we do those four things. We lean into those and then we do not worry and we don't work. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's, um, it just provides this rhythm, I think, of rest that our family needs, but also just remembering the work of God and being grateful for what he's given us, being grateful for the creation around us, being willing to step away from that producing production mentality where when we don't ever step away from producing, I feel like I get to a point where I start believing that it all depends on me, you know, that if, if I don't get this stuff done, if I don't complete these tasks, if I don't work, then everything's going to fall apart. And when you have a rhythm in your life of stepping away from all of that and you realize, oh, the world keeps turning, it's not really up to me. Maybe it's up to God, actually. You know, when we have that kind of built-in margin that we were talking about earlier where we start to see God at work in the world around us, it, it just creates this gratitude and humility and respect and um, that incorporates creation into it. It's just that balance that we miss so much. And I think that 
that production producing mentality is so much of the what has caused the destruction of creation too don't you think like just i absolutely mm -hmm. i totally agree and and I'm interrupting you. You go ahead. <laughs> oh, no. We're good. That's very, we're both being respectful. Um, I know I totally agree. And it's funny because I started practicing Sabbath um, five years ago when I was in a situation where someone was sending me 14 emails on Sunday morning expecting me to get stuff done, even though she was a professed mm. Christian and attending church. And so um, I was like, I'm practicing Sabbath. I had an email. I got dumped off a bunch of people's emails because every Sunday, you know, I wanted an email to go back automatically to her every time she sent me an email saying, I'm practicing the Sabbath, I'm not touching an email today. And um, mm. and it really did build it in this, like, amazing margin. And I am confessing, I hope my mother doesn't listen to this episode, that I, too, have fallen off the bandwagon, and I really miss it. And so um, mm. – Thankfully, Sunday, I don't have anything planned because one of the things I did was is I said, okay, no email. I'm not going to answer any email, emails on Sunday. I'm going to – I am a Twitter-aholic. I just tweet all the time, you know, so I was saying off of Twitter. Um, but one of the things that started creeping back in is I do Instagram for my worship service. And so, you know, it started mm-hmm. with like, well, I'll just send out this one post on Instagram on Sunday. You know, and then it just mm-hmm. starts to creep back in. So thank you for reminding me because I'm going to start over again well, on Sunday. I'm reminding myself, too. And, and that's <laughs> the thing. Like when life has been crazy for us in weird ways the last year, been in just this constant state of transition that, you know, I, and I find that when I'm, when, when I'm in transition, I – I lose my bearings. You know, this is, I, I, thankfully I've done this enough times now that I'm beginning to learn this about myself, but I, it's hard for me to, um, to live intentionally. It's hard for me to lean into those things. That I know, and it's because I just, I kind of lose my sense of purpose when I'm in transition. And so we have been, and I think this is one of those things that we have gotten really lax on. Um, but it's so important because, and that's why it's so hard to practice, don't you think? Because it is so subversive. Everything mm-hmm. in the culture around us tells us that we have to get stuff done. And what we end up doing is that we end up, it kind of subverts that tendency that we all have to use creation um, and everything around people as a means to an mm-hmm. end. And when mm-hmm. we have this day where we, where we, nothing is a means to an end, we're just we're just going to be, and we're going to let the people around us be, and we're going to let the creation around us be, it, it, reorient, it reorients us, and it recalibrates us, and it renews us. And a lot of times, you know, on those um, days, um, we'll go out into nature. And I find, for me personally, that's a huge centering thing for me, to just go on a hike or to just be outdoors, to be out in nature. And I think it is for our kids, too. I mean, they, they love, love, love being outside. And we try to point that stuff out to them. And just even lately, um, where, you know, where we live, Beth, like, things are starting to flower a little bit. It's like mm-hmm. a nice thing mm-hmm. about living in the south. Like, trees are already budding. And so we'll be driving, and I keep pointing out, oh, look at those trees, you guys. Look at those trees. And I, to the point where they're almost sick of it. But it's just like, I just, I love creation so much, and I want them to love it, too, because it is such a reflection of God's beauty. It's a reflection of God's power. It's a reflection of God's creativity. And, and it, it has value in and of itself. I think so many times 
when we talk about this cre- you know, creation care conversation, we talk about it, we need to care about creation because we care about God's people and we want to leave a world for our children and our children's children that um, is beautiful and that is honoring to God and all those things. And we do, like, the, you know, so much of the value of creation is because context is the place that God created for his people to live in and we're to take care of it. But I think, too, that it's more than that. I mean, it's not, creation isn't just a means to an end to, like, be this place where people live, but it all by itself is inherently good. I mean, God, God he made everything and he said it is good. Um, because it is a reflection of who he is. And so inherently all by itself, it has value apart from us. I can't think of a better way to end our conversation. And unfortunately, we are, (laughs) there we go, um, at the point where we need to end our conversation. But, Andrea, I have enjoyed. You have been a blessing in my life today. Thank you so much for your time and this conversation. so good to talk. I just want to thank Andrea for her time today. It was so awesome to meet her on the phone and listen to all the cool things that she's doing. I really feel like uh, there was a lot of value in giving yourself grace as a mom. I know we hear it over and over, but I think she gave really tangible facts about how, you know, things look in a normal Christian uh, family who's trying to do the best they can do. So we really appreciate having her on today. There's more information in the bio section on our show notes about uh, the work that she's doing. So if you want to click on the links there, you can find out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of EEM Moms Talk. You'll be able to get more information on our website at creationcare.org. And we hope that you will like and subscribe to these podcasts on iTunes or your other favorite podcast player. 